Listening to Letter to a Black Girl, a podcast that celebrates the best of Black British women. I'm your host, Gloria Onitori. Hello, hello, it's me. Yes, it's Gloria Onitori, and we are back with another episode of Letter to a Black Girl. I am so excited today. We have two wonderful ladies joining us. Now, I know this is just going to be some good conversation. This week, we have actor, singer, songwriter, composer, theatre maker, the absolute ever a-glowing Anushka Lucas, and yes, award-winning actor and producer, the refined, resplendent Reiki Iola. Hello, ladies. Hello. 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 Lovely introduction. introduction. Come on, someone's got to do it. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm just here, you know, doing doing this, trying to do the most. Feeding my plants. Feeding my plants and trying to connect some people. So Reiki, I don't know if you know, but Anushka is, (laughs) God, she is just like a creative phenomenon. And not only is she a beautiful actress, but we did a play at the Bush Theatre together. We did do a play together. Yeah, Kiyaskuru. And um, not many people can actually say that name, can they? They sort of read it. Lynette, who directed (laughs) it, can still not say it. She was like, I'm putting on this play. I want you to be in it. What's it called? (laughs) I'm the only person that didn't see it oh no i was working so i didn't see it that's a very good reason brilliant oh it was it was absolutely brilliant oh it was it was such a joy to do and like anushka writing music just oh amazing and you would have seen her at regent's park in the award-winning production of jesus christ superstar as mary madeleine very welcome yes (laughs) the truth is i've been previously sort of been stalking her and her (laughs) no (laughs) <laughs> composing her first score for theatre at 23. You have been stalking me. Yeah, yeah I have. Kook's Last Stand with Omar Lifehook and Che Walker. And then the Etienne Sisters for Theatre Royal Stratford East. And then your award-winning show, which got Best Musical at Edinburgh Fringe, Sparks, which True. did so well that it's been adapted for BBC Radio, which is just crazy. Oh, thanks, Gloria. Yeah, I know. I'm so proud of you. And then your own music as a singer-songwriter. Yes, the list goes on and your debut album Dark Soul where you work with the likes of Jamie Cullum and Katie Tunstall I mean first of all Anushka you're amazing secondly where do you find the time (laughs) but I guess with more nuance um some might ask how do you combine writing for theatre with your own work as a singer-songwriter like are they the same thing to you or do you find yourself split into different versions of yourself in order to cater That's to all. such a great question. It's interesting because I've been thinking about it a lot recently. I love writing my own music and I love writing music for theatre very, very deeply. And I love acting and I feel very grateful that I've got to a point 
but you know at 33 where I can be like yeah I do do all of those things and there is a demand for all of those things and I am going to keep doing all those things because for a really long time it felt like I was going to have to choose and especially in the music industry there is a huge huge snobbery about doing anything else so when I was going in for meetings with record labels and then saying you know with my like cool funky fusion jazz record (laughs) and then saying oh yeah and I've got a part in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical they were like no we can't market you as the next Leanne Le Havas if you're in a musical you need to stop and like that you know when you're a young woman trying to find a space that was quite stressful because I really wanted both of those things Mm -hmm. and then writing for theatre for a really long time hilariously writing for theatre seems to be like music for theatre seems to be my one of my main jobs now where for such a long time it just felt like Che Walker specifically kept calling me up and asking for songs and I'd be like (laughs) I'll just write this one song for Che (laughs) oh I've written 12 and then people were like oh I saw your show and I'd be like oh yeah I wrote that but have you heard my album and it took me a really long time to figure out the balance and the balance is hard as well you know I think the balance you know this as well as an actor and a creator like I think what happens at various points is that certain bits take off mm-hmm. and suddenly everyone wants you to do this one thing that you do and then you're suddenly looking at 12 or 16 months of doing one thing mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, but hang on, when am I going to do that other thing? I'm so I much more than this. <laughs> yeah. I'm so much more. Yeah. yeah. But, that, but it's also really funny because I, I find myself occasionally in that position now, which is an amazing position to be in. And then I also think, God, if I could time travel to when I was 25 and like a waitress and a dog walker and like a nanny and still borrowing 30 quid off my sister at the end of the month because I couldn't make it through <laughs> and say, you're going to struggle to find time to do all the creative things you want to do. Mm-hmm. I'd be so happy yeah yeah it's amazing it's just so amazing to hear you say that and like I know that actually so many of our listeners would be really inspired by that you know and it's to know that also you just got to keep going oh my just god keep totally. going don't give up on all the and different didn't... pieces of yourself do no, you know no, what I mean? no no and it didn't flip into something tenable until I was in my 30s like mm-hmm. my whole 20s I was skint and I was dropping in and out of employment for six months and then unemployment for a year and doing loads of other things. And and it was really hard to believe that it would work. So, mm. But now, sometimes you've got to wait, Anushka. The weight, yeah. the weight is in the weight. The weight is in the weight. Oh, yeah, exactly. So Reiki, I mean, your career is just awe-inspiring to me. And I know, I know firsthand from experience what an amazing actor you are because I got to work with you many, many moons ago. I did when I was, I know that sweet little thing and not, not many get to cross genres. I mean, this is actually kind of leaning into what Anushka was saying just now. Not many actually get to cross genres the way that you do in acting. You know, you are 
definitely a household name and you've been so busy on screen you know starring in Grace um, ITV's recent adaptation of the uh, recent Peter James novels um, as Assistant Chief Constable Helen Vosper. I love that name. It's just so good. It's <laughs> such a title. I'm doing a line in Women in Charge now. I love it. G Walker and Anthony uh, for the BBC. And I know our listeners would have definitely seen your tremendously powerful performance. I loved doing this in BBC's adaptation of Mallory Blackman's Noughts and Crosses. You were yes! just so good in it. When you turned up in it, I was like, yes, screw it. Yes, Reiki. And then let's not even talk about your Black British Theatre Award for Bridge oh, at so Royal grateful. Court. Yeah, and I was there to see you get that, which was just amazing. And then, you know, for many of our listeners, they'll just love and to know, and they will probably already know that you were Hermione in Harry Potter in the West End. You know, I mean, it, the, look at that range, you know, that range is just, it's so um, broad. I'm so, so grateful, it, honestly. It, yeah, a veteran of the industry mm. and much, much respect mm. coming your way from me um, and from and I, me <laughs> I knew, I, I knew an both. <laughs> now we could we could talk about acting which we will a bit later but I, I wanted you to tell us a bit more about your production company Shanti Productions about its inception and what it's like moving from in front of the screen in front of the camera to behind I learned so much I learned on the job it was a baptism of fire. It was like, it was like climbing Mount Everest with a flask of tea, <laughs> and and setting off and realizing that you're really not prepared, <laughs> um, but you might as well just keep going. And it was, there were, there were days when I just didn't want to answer the phone, and I thought, oh my goodness, I I'm just I'm so tired of people asking me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So I have a lot of admiration for, for producers because I, I know that although I've done it and I will do it again, I know now the areas that I could do well. And I, I spent a lot of time just having to do the things that aren't my strengths. So it came about because my husband, Adam and I, we had this crazy idea that we could use Shakespeare, which we love, and we could set it in a contemporary way with the original text and we got really excited about how we could cast it. And so we had, um, um, oh, isn't that awful when you, the names just go out of your head? That's ridiculous. <laughs> it happens um, to everyone. Oh yeah. no, I'll stop thinking. That's so awful. No, it, I'll stop thinking and it'll come, then all the names. <laughs> that's just diabolical. Well, what we, know is, what we know is, is what we know is it was 12th night, right? It was, yes, it was, so it was 12th night. <laughs> Okay, this is like a sleep time for me. It's 12th night. And we decided to do this and we thought it would be a really good educational tool. And mm -hmm. so it's come, and so we had a cast of 22, uh, a cast of 17 and a crew of 22. And we took everyone down to West Sussex. So we did all the kinds of things that a, a new production company shouldn't do, really. You shouldn't take 40 people <laughs> out of London <laughs> for four weeks. Shakespeare and you shouldn't rehearse for three weeks as if you're rehearsing a play so we rehearsed in London for three weeks and then shot it for uh, over four weeks you shouldn't do any of that um, <laughs> and you should you know you should just shoot it in your bedroom or something. and you shouldn't you shouldn't tell people up front how much they're going to get paid because that's not when we said why don't we just say like all the all the 
all those characters will get paid that much and all those characters will get paid that much and if you're in for a day you'll get paid that much and all the agents went oh that's new and we said well doesn't it, it never made sense to us that people go yes I'll do the job by the way how much are you paying mm-hmm. it never makes mm-hmm. sense that that's how it works mm-hmm. so we said why don't we just say this is this is what we've got so we're we're not going to take you on some wild goose t- chase of um of auditioning and and then tell you that we've and everyone and we and we were paying everyone above you know way above equity minimum it wasn't masses but we didn't want favors and we had a proper catering trunk and everyone said why don't you just serve them pizza and we said we can't serve pizza for four weeks <laughs> so, so everything we did <laughs> we rented a big old house for, for sort of three weeks we were in some woman's massive house in west sussex and by the end she hated us <laughs> She's like, one day she actually rang and said, I don't want you coming back tomorrow. We hadn't finished shooting. <laughs> oh, please, you really need, I'm sorry somebody let the dog out. I'm really sorry. <laughs> let the dog out. It was insane. But now we have three hours, so, or two and a half hours of original text and, and schools and colleges and universities have found it. So it's wonderful now when we get schools from Australia saying, oh, we're using your film. Oh, wow. And that's what it was all about. And I would love to do it again at some point. And, and I know that when I do it next time, the thing that I really want to get a handle on from being in front of the camera is I want to really get a handle on diversifying the crew. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yes, the yes. thing that I really, because I, I keep looking out beyond the mm-hmm. camera and thinking, wow, I'm on a building site. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I want to get. I want to get yeah. into that. You know, it's the same thing in music. Like Is when it? I've every time I've been in a studio in a in a set, you get a lot of you get a lot of black musicians and black singers. When you look at the sound engineers and the producers, uh, I've been in kind of vaguely in and out of music studios for ten years. I don't think I've ever seen a sound engineer of color. Uh, one Asian guy and one woman. That's it. So fascinating. You know, I, you know, bizarrely, don't you? You've probably noticed that if on a on a TV and film crew, if anyone's black, it's normally the sound man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's weird. That's and really. Get there that's so weird. No black, <laughs> that's if there's so no true. black sound man, there there is there are no black crew at all. Yeah, it's I so did, bizarre. I did a short really uh, at the top of this year, like a really like like four hour shoot, and it was for a company run by a friend who purposefully hired a, a kind of diverse, I hate that word, uh, but a diverse crew. And it was surreal because I realised I'd never seen so many women and people of colour behind me, ca- ever, yeah. ever, ever. And it was a small film that potentially not many people will see and it was everyone working for not, you know, it, it's just like... In the big spaces, that's not happening. Yeah, but it's what is interesting is is that it is doable, and that's what you're just explaining now. And that's that the excuse has always been, oh, we can't find any, or but yeah. actually that's not true. As you know, I get all my guests to write a letter to their younger selves because without that, it wouldn't be letter to a black girl. Are you ready to dive in, Anushka? Would you do that? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes, I would. I've written quite a brief letter. Also, you said a letter to your younger self, and I think I started off writing it as though I was 16. 
And then somewhere along the way, it turned into a letter to every me that I've been before now. Nice. And I tried to... It's just a, quite a general letter. Okay, shall I just go in? Mm-hmm. Dear Anushka, hey, listen, you are not getting anything wrong. I know it feels like things are a bit different for you than they are for everyone around you. And they are a bit different. That's because everyone around you is white. And actually, that does mean something, even though everyone keeps saying it doesn't. Everyone around you is quite comfortably well off, and your family isn't. And that also means something, even though everyone else keeps saying it doesn't really. And that's okay. Your experience is not invalid because it is different. Please, please, please learn to pay attention to where you feel happy and safe. Pay attention to the people who pull out the parts of you that you like, the parts that you really like. These people are the good people. Heads up, you are never going to find a way to fit into the music industry. The answer is not to be more like Alicia Keys or more like Laura Invula or more like Laura Marling. Please stop thinking that you can get this right by abandoning yourself in an attempt to be like another woman. And finally, for the love of God, please go to therapy. There is a reason that you keep ending up with the same lovely, messy, ultimately terrible men. Stop <laughs> it. I love you so much, Anushka. Oh, I love that. It's so great and really, <laughs> really powerful. Really powerful. Thanks. It's very, I just, it's like, what are the four key things that I would like to say to myself from the past? And they're important. They're really important. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about them in a sec. So, Reiki, it's on you. It's on me. But I have to start by saying Sheila Atim and Charlene oh. Perez who led our company, I do apologise. Now everyone's name is back in my head. Wonderful <laughs> <Brilliant>. women. <laughs> yes. My letter is the end of the letter. So it starts with, love you always, Reiki. P.S. One. The huge thing you're about to do will definitely be the right thing for you. It won't scar or haunt you. So put the guilt down and move on. PS2, feel free to say no, because none of these people are the one. Their essence won't dictate the course of your life in any way. The wife and mother you'll become are a long way from here. PS3, believe it or not, people will start to ask the ditzy black girl for her opinion. Sometimes you'll have one, sometimes you won't. It's okay. PS4, you will become the actress you want to be, but you'll be referred to as an actor. PS5, keep carrying that camera. The pictures will prove invaluable. And PS6, you will be tested, often. Shout, scream, affect what you can, then smile and dance on. This, doing this show is hard. It's like hearing all of your letters and just what comes out of everybody is just, wow. It's um, really, really powerful. And thank you both for doing that and sharing because that's also a big thing. 
I would say I like to think about the ditzy black girl. Yeah. Believe it or not, people start to ask the ditzy black girl for opinion, right? Mm. Um, and you've seen, and, and and she's still here, you know. She is. The ditzy black girl is the one who couldn't remember the name of any of her cast. And that's so gorgeous, you know. But how do you, I mean, coming out of that, but how do you develop an understanding of the right time to provide an opinion, you know? Especially when that opinion perhaps is not needed. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know what? I I have. I don't know about you two, but I have never worked out a refined, sophisticated way to give my opinion. So whether mm. it's in a rehearsal room or whether it's to do with politics and the wider world, I will sit and I will assume that everyone that's talking knows more than me, mm-hmm. and sometimes they do. You know, sometimes, sometimes they well, they've read that book and that book and I haven't. All I did was read the script several times. That's all I did. Mm-hmm. But they know every, they know that, you know, what the writer wore to bed and what the writer ate for breakfast and how that informed the play. Or in the wider world, someone will tell you the reason that that happened in that country is because that happened in, and I think, wow. And... And I sit and I think, I don't know anything about everything. And then gradually I realized I had to be honest with myself that I often form my opinions by going, I don't agree. Mm-hmm. I'm listening mm-hmm. and I don't agree. But okay, so then that makes me, leads me to on to onto something that you said about feeling free to say no. Because a lot of the time we say no because we don't agree with something or we don't we don't want to do something right. But simply put, how do you say no to someone? You know, because that's the thing I struggle with. Gloria, I end up I because so that's what I mean about not being because I'll I'll go oh um, do you mind if we could (laughs) do the and you get talked over and people don't hear that polite excuse me does any and then I go all right can we just stop now and believe me that I go from being this like cat to this tiger and it's never intentional. And it's funny, my, my, <laughs> I'll come home from maybe from work and, and tell my husband what's going on and he'll say, oh dear, I give the tiger three days. <laughs> and I say, I'm not doing the tiger this time. The tiger's not happening. No. I'm, I'm, but but I, it's the only way I can, it's the only way I can be heard. I haven't, I haven't found a way. I haven't taught myself. I keep thinking mm. I've taught myself an adult way of of making myself heard, and I still haven't worked it out. It's astonishingly hard. I have a controversial opinion on this, which is that I find it very hard to say no, very hard in my private life and my professional life. Mm-hmm. And it bleeds into each other, you know. But I, I also find it very hard to say, I don't think we're doing this the right way, which isn't quite no, or like this isn't what I want this to look like or sound like or whatever, or I feel uncomfortable. And actually, my controversial opinion is that I've started getting better at it by removing myself from the spaces where it's not going to be heard at all. Yeah. And going into spaces, and I'm talking about making work, music and theatre, with women and with people from diverse backgrounds or people who were not neurotypical or whatever and being in rooms where the room itself lends itself to listening and practicing in those rooms saying this is my opinion I don't think that's good and then I've noticed 
slowly that when I get back into a room with like, you know, this is the most important man in the history of the world and he's been given 25 million pounds and you can't say no to him, that I've practised enough to get there a bit faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's this real fallacy that you just have to like suddenly become strong. Yeah. And like it doesn't work. And I. Well, then you're just going to two extremes, aren't you? You're doing yes. exactly what Rake is yes. talking about. You're there's no you know there's bricks and scales just going short. Like, yeah, and I think it's got to be we got to tell people <laughs> that have that struggle. You know, it's okay to just go somewhere where people listen. Yeah. Yeah. You might still make some good work. Well, this is the same thing. That, I mean, it's something that's come up a lot on this podcast. We've been talking about, like, you know, why knocking on the door of, of a room or a house of someone who <laughs> doesn't want you in there. And we're, yeah. we're knocking and knocking and knocking, saying, please let me in. When, in fact, you could, and I've said this so many times, just go back over the road to your own house <laughs> and cook up your own yeah there's of people knocking on your door and your friends will come round and play your music and have a good old time and the people who the, the house you were knocking on across the road they'll hear the party going on yeah. at yours and they'll be like what's happening there mm-hmm. and they'll be wanting to come over so but why do we spend all this time trying to you know let somebody who doesn't want to hear our opinion know what our opinion is I got that call that call that says oh, we'd love to work with you mm. And um, you know, the, I wish the you know, listeners could see your face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of, and I go, oh, oh yeah, because, and it's, and it's, it's, you know, the, the script hasn't been written. It's that we want to work with you from the beginning. And, you know, the script is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay, you clearly want me to kind of do something with it. That's cool. Yeah. And I sit at my kitchen table and I spend hours and blah, 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 and come up with all these ideas. And then what you get is, well, we don't actually want to change it that much. And I thought, mm. oh, oh, okay. I tell you, it was the most extraordinary situation because it went from, oh, we really want to move fast on this. I haven't heard from these people for two months, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's just as well I'm not in their company because I think, wow, I i allowed myself to walk straight into that situation of yeah. we need someone that looks like her in the room. Yeah. yeah. But we just kind of want her to sit over there on a chair in the corner. Yeah. And not speak. <sighs> yeah. But she won't stop talking. I, this person has opinions. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In, I mean, I th- I can't believe I, with my eyes wide open, I just assume surely if you bothered to find my number from X and Y and Z and blah blah blah, you must really want to work with me. But no, no, they don't. No, no they don't. But you know what? I think. I've got to like, cause I've constantly got to practice compassion and empathy, right? <laughs> That's my waking up. I go practice compassion and empathy. <laughs> and I uh, get in the shower after not having done that and go practice compassion and empathy yeah. again. And you know, I'm thinking, I just think that's just not understood. Like, I don't think it's meant no, it's not. I in think, a, you know, a malicious way. It's just, go on, Anushka. I really think it goes back to what Reiki was saying earlier about behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Because I, I really think, you know, practice compassion and empathy is great from the actor, but the actor's not at the top, with, with the greatest respect and love to everyone on this call, the actor's not at the top of the sheet no. of people making decisions. And I think, you know, that's what, conversations like that, 
won't happen as much if the creative team whether that's a record label or a tv production company or a theater company is made up of people who will say hey 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 don't speak like that to the actor before you get into the room Mm -hmm. and have that conversation in from a position of even more power because also when you get people like that in the positions of power they've often already gone through those experiences so they can just be like we're just not going to do this because i know what this feels like and i'm not doing that to other people And that's interesting. So that leads me on to something that you said in your letter, Anushka, you were saying about growing up around people who had a different story to you. You know, when did you learn that it's okay that you were different around those people? Because I think that it ties in a little bit to this as well. It's like, you know, you know you're different in a space. Yeah. And at some point we get to a place where we go, but it's all right that I'm there. It's all right. Yeah. It has so much to do with, you know, and it's again what you were saying, you know, the people I grew up with are actually lots of them are still my best friends and like they're not bad people. There's mm-hmm. not there's not a, a hostility in the way that a lot of the people I grew up with were different to me. That's just a fact. But I think when you are in a minority in a space, you are accommodating without realizing that you're accommodating. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us as women and as people of colour grow up and then you have to go on a journey of figuring out that that's what you've been doing and unlearning doing it. That's yeah. also why it's so exciting hearing Reiki talk about herself as a ditzy black girl because like <laughs> so much of what I had growing up, I'm slightly going on a tangent, but was like this <laughs> idea that I had no connection to being black because I was, you know, so clumsy and nerdy and like people were like, oh, you really remind me of, hilariously... People would be like, you really remind me of Hermione from... (laughs) 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 Which is a white thing. And they were like, that's a white thing. Those characteristics are white characteristics. You have them. You're not black. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm really light-skinned and blah, blah, blah. And so growing up and what I'm trying to say is, is meeting, seeing the breadth and diversity of other black women and other women and other people of colour and everything and being like, oh, there's not... This, when I was in this space where I was the minority, I thought there was one way for me to be the minority. But actually, I've discovered there are 10,000 ways to be the minority. And, and, and like now, I think maybe mine is just one of the ways. And mm. that's fine. And I think that's where it's that's come from. Beautiful thing to say. That's, and, and we maybe had a similar experience because I grew up in Cardiff. And I remember coming to. London. I lived in Elephant Castle when I first moved to London and I got on a bus and I just remember thinking, well, what's weird about this bus? <laughs> oh my God, everyone on this bus is black. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been on a bus where everyone was black before. I think God, <laughs> if it was, wow, everyone on this bus looks like me. Yeah. And that was wonderful but it was also really weird because I'd just been used to being different I I got used to being the only black girl in the choir the orchestra the play yeah um the youth it's also quite shocking like I did maybe just me but like also I you know I was so I was in London and I've you know we've got cousins and uncles but the world was white and then at my school and at my university I was often in a tiny minority, no one's around loads of them. I found it quite threatening. I was like, whoa, this is my identity. Yeah. I'm the yes. token brown person. What do you yeah. mean there are 17 other brown people here and some of them are <laughs> yeah. me? 
I so, you're so right. Yeah. Because you and you really have to confront that because this it's a voice that says you're used to having to do nothing at all mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. walk into a room and you're different. You don't need to, you know, you could wear the most the most conservative with a small C clothes yeah. and you will be different. Now yeah. suddenly you walk into a room <laughs> and you're just that quiet black woman. Being in a being in a cast of black women where people just sort of broke into different voices and different accents. And I was like, <laughs> I could give you a bit of Welsh. <laughs> Yeah, I hear that. That's what Kiara was like sometimes. It was. It was so much like yeah. Nigerian, Caribbean. I'd be like, well, I can do Fulham or Hammersmith. <laughs> you know, but the thing is, is I learned to do the, that. That was my way of bonding with mm. other black people because I grew up, it's so similar to you. Like I was Bedfordshire, my yeah. village, only black girl, only black girl in my year for seven years at school. So the same thing, you know, coming into casts like Lion King and all of a sudden being like, <laughs> Oh my God. I used to find it really hard being in those environments because I sometimes felt I got a bit isolated and picked on because Mm. I spoke different, had a different kind of accent. Yeah. I behaved in a different kind of way. Like culturally, I seemed different to people and they didn't understand that and they questioned that, um, found that threatening for some reason, you know, or whatever. And that used to really upset me because I was really excited to suddenly be around other black people people because I really hadn't before like I never had anyone to do my hair when I was growing up and like you know like literally just a friend the other day had offered to braid my hair for me and I said that's the first time in my in 36 years that anyone has ever a friend has offered to do my hair and and it just meant I remember it like stayed with me for like all day and I messaged her later sort of going that that just really like meant everything to me and I didn't even know until it kept going round and round in my head Mm. you know and I would have loved that I've been in so many black shows do you know what I mean and and with black women and I'd never ever had that and then I found as I got older and was like with myself and in control of myself that I was like oh but I'm very Nigerian and I'm good (laughs) at that and and you every now and again yeah 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 and, and then I was like oh oh I can use that and I so now when I go into casts with black people oh god I'm outing myself now but I like will give my do my Nigerian accent and sort of be like talk to them and make those sounds and play around because I like to joke because it somehow puts people at ease it's it kind true. of says to them, she's okay. There's something like, I don't know what it is, but I now use it as a tool. And that's terrible that I'm abysing that. No, that's it's not terrible because it's, you know, that's the flip side. So I'm uh, I'm mixed race and I grew up with no, as Gloria knows, because we went over and over this in rehearsals for But like, I grew up with no relationship with the black side of my family. My mum's my dad is Cameroonian and he left when she was five. And that's the end of that story. And my white French granny is so angry angry that he left that she's like don't bring up that man end of the conversation mm-hmm. which is fine because it's a breakup story except in our case it's also a race story mm-hmm. so then you wind up with loads of progressively less and less black children who who don't know what that means and mm-hmm. like what you're talking about I've got the other I can't do that like I wouldn't know how to do an authentic Cameroonian accent I'd have no. to go and train with a dialect coach please and don't not now I anyway really <laughs> I but, like, but like when I met when I meet 
Cameroonian people is when I feel most stressed because I'm like, oh. are you? they're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm Cameroonian. They're like, oh, I'm Cameroonian. And then suddenly it's like all this food I don't know and this and this language I don't know and this accent. And then, and then I feel like a fraud. Like, I guess I'm not. Anyway, this is a whole... Oh, but I so hear that, Anushka. I I had a a sort of heated debate with a guy who works in a a church that's at the end of our road, and we always have a chat about gardening and stuff. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, he was talking about schools going back and, and just dropped this little bomb. And he said, he's Nigerian, and he said, he said, oh, the thing is, because you're not really black. And I went, well, 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 well sorry, what? <gasps> no. What? what? He said, well, what I mean is, and I said, you know what? Stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, said, oh, I thought we'd, I thought we'd connected. Mm. And you're not really black, is man. I said, I said, well, I think what you mean is I'm a woman who's just been for a walk in the park with her daughters. And I'm the woman who just said to you, how about taking your math students, like, you know, go go count some trees or something. Mm. And, and because I talked about the natural world, you're now telling me I'm not you're white. black. That, mm. so, so I'm not allowed to care about the owl that flies around the side of my house at night. Mm-hmm. And I'm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not allowed to have some daffodils outside my, on the windowsill. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Is that is that really what you're saying? Are you yeah. limiting your view of what a black person or a black woman is? Is that what you're telling me? Oh, 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 and then he started spitting feathers. And I just I said, you know what? I just I'm gonna we'll 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 pick this up again later because I'm yeah. I'm so tired. I'm so angry and hurt by that. That you've known me for a year and a half and you would say that to me. Yeah. Do you feel that your race, I hate using that word race mm-hmm. because it's we're one race, right? Yeah. Do you feel that your race makes you feel that you have to play a certain role in society? You know, like there's that saying, what is being black enough? And how does that, I guess, leans us into what typecasting is oh. and defining what typecasting is? What are your thoughts? So I have some pretty... Here's the thing with me. I graduated from university at 21 and I was going to be a singer-songwriter. And then unexpectedly in my 20s, I met a playwright who was like, come and work in theatre. And then I started working in theatre. And then I didn't do an audition or start acting until I was 28. The idea of being an actress never crossed my mind until I was 28. And I thought the music industry was bad. (laughs) And being a creative in theatre was mad. And then I started getting casting breakdowns. (laughs) And I was coming up to 30 and coming up to being pretty clear about who I was and what I cared about and what I wanted to do and who was interesting and blah, blah, blah. And I still, five years into it, cannot believe the casting breakdowns I get or the scripts. Like, I cannot believe it. The disconnect, and especially I have because I did a degree in languages and I went to a very academic school. I've got a lot of friends who have regular jobs. So I live in this normal world, I think, where my friends are doctors and lawyers and, like, the world feels quite feminist and future-looking to me and progressive. And then I get these scripts and I'm like, how is this written by someone living in the same world Mm -hmm. as the people that I know? Mm -hmm. And it's 
And it's on both levels, you know, it's the intersectional delight of like, on a gender level, you're like, why is this, why is she in a bikini? Why? What part of the script has to do with her tits? Mm-hmm. And also, why is it that you've given me five adjectives about this man's character and all you've said about this female character is, you know, I got this script, I was doing a show at Edinburgh that we won Best Musical for, that I wrote the music for and I was in with a friend of mine and it was pretty feminist and we were having a great time and I got the script through for a massive part on like a Fox series and it said, Irina, comma, she is beautiful, comma, sultry, comma, sexy. Next line, she comes out of the pool in her swimming costume. And then it was her lines. And I was like... But what am I supposed to play? Yeah, there? who is she? Who <laughs> like, is she? What does she fucking care about? <laughs> <laughs> that was point one. And then when you get into racism, I'll tell you one thing that is my opinion that might be wrong. My opinion as an actress with racism and colorblind casting and all of that is that I have a very plummy middle class voice. Mm-hmm. And I started acting at 28 and realized that I was going to have to learn how to do accents even though I know a lot of white girls who speak exactly like me who audition for every role in the voice that they have. Mm-hmm. But somehow it's implausible that I would be brown and talk like this. Mm-hmm. And that really shocked me. Mm-hmm. Like, really shocked me. And then you, all you do, increasingly you do get scripts where the girl talks like me, but then her race is erased from the story, you know? Mm-hmm. I think if you get one... I'm being yeah if you get like oh she's she's middle class then it's like no reference to her being black ever anywhere yeah, in the script <laughs> yeah 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 like That's being middle class cancels being black bizarre yeah. yeah yeah I'm thinking about how it, it's only recently that that I've used my Cardiff accent on mm. screen I then once before about 20 years ago and then and then not at all but I think I used to think of um Casting directors as having drawers uh, in the days before computers, I think. And I always thought I was in a drawer marked black other. Mm-hmm. And the other meant not from London. So mm-hmm. if you ever had, uh, if you wanted anyone from anywhere else, Liverpool, Manchester, anywhere else, I would get a call because I clearly wasn't from London. You're mm-hmm. regional black. Yeah. Regional black. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> conversations with people like can you do it more like you're from London and I'm like I am from London this is what it sounds like when I am from London (laughs) I know what you mean but like say what you mean a a white uh, a white friend of mine who's an actress said the other day she said and she's Welsh and she was she said oh she's like you know I never I only ever use my my accent I'm either I'm either Welsh, English speaking or Welsh, Welsh speaking. Have you done any accents? And I just collapse. <laughs> if you can find me a black actor that, that works and doesn't do accents, I would really like to know what their secret is. Yeah. yeah. I've gone to a point where people now just think I'm American all the time. Like I've You're done American an American accent really... so much. Yeah. See, like I've done it so much though, that now it is in just my natural mm. accent. Like I don't even know what I am anymore. 
But also it's it's complicated, right? Because I feel like I can hear in my head the the people answering back being like, but that's what acting is, like mm-hmm. pretend to be someone else. And I and I get that. And I'm not saying I don't, you know, if you've got a fantastic part but you need me to be urban, of course that's great. Mm-hmm. But like I think what you said, Reiki, is the point, right? Where you, you compare and contrast with your white female friends and you're like, hang on, I will do this. I want to work, <laughs> but I can see uh, there's something I can see that we're not talking about. And like, yeah. you know, it's... And and of course, what the, you know, the, the, the whole, it's a whole other thing, but the, the drama school thing that was going on, you think actually if there are any students that you really need to be catering for when it comes to accents. It's your black students, because yeah. they really are the people that will need them. So they should be the default accents, and then yeah. all the others should be the extras. What about people like Idris Elba being James Bond and Chloe Bailey playing Ariel in The Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. you know, do you think that actors should always stick to the race of a character or is there space to change the narrative and the expectations? Because when you have like, so people have a memory of these like fictional characters, like let's say The Little Mermaid, you know, you have an idea, we've seen this Disney movie and it's been told in a particular way because the character has been drawn in a particular way in this movie, uh, a particular skin color. If you then change, I'm using this as an example, but if you then change it to Chloe Bailey as Mm. a black actress, Mm. does the narrative change? Because now this little mermaid that goes on this journey, do we put on, as we look on as an audience, we put onto her as a black, that she's black and we Mm. will see a history and a, a past for her that might not be the same as we would look at a white actress playing that role? My honest opinion is I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's really complicated. But my when, you're, when you start saying that, I start thinking about Bridgerton, which I watched like 63 million people at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I have a lot of thoughts that aren't that clear, but, but one thing that came out of watching Bridgerton that is fantasy, right? And then we're talking about Little Mermaid, which is fantasy and- yeah and all of that was what really struck me watching that aside from all the thoughts I had watching it which is for another podcast was how like it became a non-event that people were not white after about five minutes Mm -hmm. there was a I don't know if that was just my experience but like for me there was like a shock in the first five ten minutes like oh the duke is black and martin's uh I can't remember his character is black and um you know what does this mean and then very quickly, I was like, when are they going to shag? Uh, is she going to manage to marry him? Oh, I really like his coat. This scene is too long. <laughs> like, why, not... are they, why are they in the same hall again? Yes. <laughs> are they really going to spend eight episodes talking about whether or not he's going to come inside her? Okay, they are. <laughs> like, I had a lot of thoughts about it. <laughs> but, but the fact that the, but the, the, the diversity of the cast became and it and it actually ended up making me quite angry because I was like wow I cannot believe I've been told for so long that this would be such a massive deal that it would change everything that it would ruin period dramas and the reality is it barely touches the surface really in terms of the narrative mm-hmm. like it doesn't impact my experience of it and so I guess going back to your question 
I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to what you're asking. I think obviously if you see a brown girl in a certain context or an Asian girl or, or a deaf girl, you're like, that's going to be a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think really, no, I'm really all for it. Especially when you think about the four-year-old girls watching The Little Mermaid. Yeah. You know, you're like, that's great. Because every Disney princess that I... I mean, I could be Pocahontas or <gasps> The Princess and the Frog came, but I was already 20, so that was kind of embarrassing to be super into it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that trumps it, really. Mm, okay, but then what about, like, sort of real people, so autobiographical things? So, like, I'm, mm. I'm pushing this one, I'm throwing this one in there because it's just popped into my head. What about, like, Zoe Saldana playing oh. Nina Simone? Oh. <laughs> oh. Right? Yes. <sighs> it's hard to take it's that really on, isn't hard. it? It's really hard. I, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I have to sit on the fence with that because I think I don't love it mm. at all. Mm-mm. But as someone who's played, played Hermione Granger, who is fictional, but nonetheless, mm. yeah. I kind of go, it's, I mean, I, and I know the, the, the argument is always, um, that it's sort of a numbers game, isn't it? That that if you if you're only telling that many stories about that mm. group of people, um, you know, so we're so we're not going to see we're not going to see a, a a blue-eyed Martin Luther King anytime soon because that's just not going to work. No. Um, but then you've got people saying, but. But if we're mixing it all up, let's mix yeah. it all up. This is just curiosity now about Harry Potter, but like, was that a very open conversation that you guys? So I, I took over from Noma, so yeah. uh, I was second cast, and by the time we got there, um, uh, the first cast, Noma particularly, had taken that the, on the waves. She kind of yeah, taken yeah, the whole yeah. thing, and, the, and the, it, there was a bit more when they announced the second cast. But people. Who, around the world that didn't even know the show was happening and had been happening for a year, kind of went, what, what? Mm. Um, so there was a, a smaller wave for for me. Um, but I, I chose to believe that, and, and this is just, it just made, it helped me that, to believe that Hermione was always meant to be black in the way that, that we're now told Charlie Bucket in in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Chocolate was always meant to be black. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Um, so that worked for me. And and what I found was I did, you know, the whole stage door thing mm. after the show. Um, the only time I didn't do stage door was when security wouldn't let us because there was a, a march going on in London or something. And I felt a real responsibility to stand on that pavement in front of um, people who'd come from all over the country, but a family of, family of 10 people from Hawaii one, one day who'd, <laughs> who'd booked their plane tickets once they'd managed to get 10 tickets to the same performance. Wow. And I felt a real obligation mm-hmm. to be there at times like that. And, and people from Japan and some people from Kentucky who I, I, you know, I wondered if they'd ever spoken to an African-American, let alone a black mm-hmm. British person, do you know what I mean? 
um, and it's still wearing their sort of suit and tie. And I felt a real, I thought, I, I need you to chat. I need to chat to you. And I yeah. need you to take this picture with this Hermione. That's and so I need beautiful. you to just think about that when you're on the plane back home. I just, I, I need that because it's all part of the package for me. So that, because there were people who were saying, well, the show was ruined for me, bye. And I'm thinking, you know what? Mm-hmm. Those people, in my experience, they've never seen, they don't watch it. Yes. No, they're not watching it. They're not it's listening. It's not the ones watching it. I think everyone who watches stuff normally gets on board. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yes, they do. And, you know, there was there was one woman who was, um, she hadn't seen the show. She's, she's a, a, a doctor, a, a early 20s. And she wrote this letter to um, J.K. Rowling saying, you've ruined my life by oh having my God. these black Hermione's all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> and Noma was brilliant. Noma, it, with all the heart that that woman has, just wrote this wonderful response that said, my love, if that's the, as bad <laughs> as your life gets, I'd say you're doing okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's such a beautiful thing to say. It's so gorgeous. And just, and again, practice compassion and empathy. That's all we can do. I mean, Mm. you know, and I guess this is, I've really loved this chat, ladies. Um, You know, I, I just think I'm thinking about us getting to the point where a person's you know, race doesn't matter when it comes to a character, you know, mm. but but then at the same time, you know, and I always say this, you know, I don't like the term colour blind. I prefer colour mindfulness because mm. I just think it's really important to acknowledge that you're the the, the colour of the person or the heritage background of the person that is playing a role because otherwise right. you're denying them their life experience and actually that's a real learning curve for these people who might have had um, an issue with that particular kind of casting. And then all of a sudden they're being treated and responded and with to with respect, even though they've given out something which is actually quite negative, you know, and I think that's, that's important that we, we do that as well. So in a way, I wonder whether sometimes I think it's good for there to be a little bit of conflict. Totally. Otherwise, people won't learn anything. Absolutely. You know? And I, really think, I think what you say about... It, it, it's never, it's never colour blind. It's not that the people watching aren't blind and the people casting aren't blind. No. It's always conscious. And, and I think it... For now, it will always have to be. Because otherwise... And, and that's all that's all kinds of casting if, if we if we don't take a moment to see what's not there we don't know what's not there yeah mm-hmm. um, and we I found that actually when we were when we were casting our 12th night the, the conversations may uh, are, it can be quite uncomfortable mm-hmm. because um and, you know and and people I think People got really upset with me for saying this once, but we thought we can we can open up the casting to all kinds of people, and then we panicked and went. But what are the rules if um, uh-huh. if a, that character needs to hear that line, therefore they have to be able to hear, mm-hmm. or that character will have to run after that character, therefore they need to be able to move quickly. 
and you go this is a weird conversation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are we even allowed to have this conversation Mm -hmm. if we're not adapting the script do you know what I mean yeah that's so interesting because I've just been having a really I'm working I'm writing the score for a a new show that may or may not ever happen (laughs) given (laughs) the global pandemic but I've been writing it for a couple of years with really close friends and we had a very similar conversation quite recently we kind of went through it over a series of months because it was like ah and it was actually even more basic than ability um, like whether people were able-bodied or not I hope that is the right term Mm -hmm. um it was like oh these characters are white maybe these characters don't need to be white and then we were like kind of throwing everything at the wall being like why don't we just like these three characters and then and that kind of came out of a discomfort with the the overall whiteness of a certain space. So then we were like, oh, let's just get rid of it by putting these brown and Asian people there. And then the more we kept writing, the more we were like, this doesn't make any sense now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, and, yes. but but how do we make sense of the fact that we've made these this bunch of lead characters white? And can we account for that? And mm-hmm. then also, you know, is that serving a purpose that furthers the narrative for society? And and also, yeah, and it really made me and the the girls I work with the women I work with (laughs) realize colorblind casting is it's not real it's not it's not it just involves it's only possible if you have absolutely no concept of other people having a different experience of life exactly that's why it doesn't work I so I keep it works for for us, one bunch of people to do it for the same bunch of people and everyone sit there and be like, yep, that's what life is like. <laughs> but yeah. all the other people will sit in the audience being like, not for me. No, and they're staring and they're looking and they're putting on their ideas of what, when they see a black person or an Asian person or a white person, they will reflect and put project what their idea of a white, black, Asian, able-bodied, non-able-bodied, whatever person, they will project it on so it doesn't exist. Yeah, so you've and got also- to... We take that. account for that. Yes. You know, I think that's the other thing is what you're saying, Reiki, like we need to be, we all need to be uncomfortable. Like yes, it's that's... not about going, oh, look at how white people are terrible at casting. Like <laughs> we can have that conversation, <laughs> but that's actually reductive and not true. Like there are a lot of problematic ways of casting or thinking about projects. And I think it's only when there's just a lot of different people Yes, making Absolutely. stuff. Making stuff. Probably got a lot of stuff covered, but even you're always going to miss something. And 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 really going back to the the Zoe Saldana thing. You know, the real problem is that there are so few films about dark-skinned black women that, of course, they are already wow. Wow, this is such a massive risk. We've got to put a really famous person in it in order for it to sell. And then the only famous woman is this light-skinned black. And then you're like, the problem is not, in my opinion, I mean, whether or not she should have taken that part. But I, I'm a light-skinned actress. I can kind of see, I get something. You can see how it happens. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's the last cog in the wheel of what is the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the problem is that there aren't 50 films like that and a hundred yes. actresses that you're calling that we've already and we've already seen exactly yeah. well 
I hope that is coming up. I hope that we get off our own asses and get our pens out and start writing our stuff and, you know, and coming together and being a collective as, as a community as well to get make sure these stories are being told because mm. a lot of the time that's what's not happening, you know? Do you know, I think we're doing more of that. I mean, I feel like, like so many people are... are arriving on the scene with six scripts in their back pocket it's fantastic and and i hope that um i hope that people are really listening because one of the things i've been aware of over the last few years is that the people seem to know how the young men sound and they know how the young women sound they even know what dad's talking about they hardly ever know what mum is talking about mm-hmm. if mum is not saying please don't leave the house with the knife in your pocket or what do you mean? Yeah. He, who called? Have you called an ambulance? And what else do mothers talk about? And I feel like, is it because we just didn't tune in? Did we not tune in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do women around forty and fifty talk mm. about other than standing in a doorway watching their son running down the street? <laughs> <laughs> that's all you do, right? It is. That's all you that's do. All you do. <laughs> That's all you do. And I think that's so interesting. I just love this. Well, okay. I mean, we could literally talk for hours and hours. I'm so glad to have had this opportunity to like even just, because we don't often get to do this. And a lot of the time I feel like I'm having diversity chats with sort of me being the only black person on a Zoom call with a whole load of (laughs) (laughs) people from a theatre that are white, desperately trying to understand. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to answer questions about why people are racist anymore. I'm the person on the receiving end of it. (laughs) Stop asking me. Just explain it, Gloria. Just explain it. Yeah, so it's actually really nice to kind of you know, have these conversations like this, just as a, you know, group of black and girls. it's really nice to chat. have them um, intergenerationally as well. Uh, exactly. Yes, your last Absolutely. point, I'm like, yeah, I'm not at that stage yet where that's obvious that's, to me. But as soon as you really said sad. it, I was like, oh yeah, that is all I see, 45 year old women too. Just, that's really, and it stayed with me as well. So listen, we're going to have to wrap up. I'm really sorry. But I, before we do, I really want to get you guys to tell us what you have got coming up and where people can find you if they want to find you. You know, if you do the social media thing, if you don't. So Anushka, yeah, just tell us what you have got coming up and yeah, where people can find you. I am uh, appearing in a new musical on uh, BBC Worldwide Service written by Theo Jameson uh, and with the BBC Philharmonic Orchestra that is out on May 12th Um, and some other stuff but I'm so sure I'm not supposed to mention it I'll just not Uh, I'm also got some new music coming out later this year and uh, my album Dark Soul is on Spotify and Apple Music and if you would like to follow me I am overactive on Instagram at Anushka Lucas Music and I am unhappily addicted to Twitter at Anushka Lucas (laughs) I'm raking I will be in a six part series on BBC One which starts May the 3rd called The Pact Um, and and the second start for six weeks and the second Grace story goes out in the autumn (gasps) Uh, and I'm currently filming the second series of Alex Ryder for Amazon, and I'm not sure when that will be on. 
That's so exciting. I can't wait. I love it. The women on this show are so talented and brilliant. It's so great. I love having everybody in the same space. It's so nice. My my name, it's Reiki Iola on Instagram and Twitter. I'm going to follow you now. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Do I'm I'm, I'm sort of going to be back on it now. I had to take a break. I had to step back from it all. No, that's healthy. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that is it for another week of Letter to a Black Girl. You can find us on Instagram at Letter to a Black Girl and on Twitter at LTABG Pod. If you have any letters, poems, music or musings that you would like to share, then please do get in touch via the email link in our Instagram bio. We'd love to hear from you. Cut up from the finest cloth Risen from the finest tree Girl, you're the one Second to none Open, let your voice be free